You're listening to an Ancient Future podcast produced by St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. I'm your host, Jamie Howison. This is the 15th and final episode in our serialization of John Boddicher's book, Ten Steps on Freedom Road, Why the Commandments are Good News. This final chapter, which John titles Faith and Freedom, is his postscript. But before we get to John's postscript, let me add a little postscript of my own. It has been a real delight sharing these chapters with you, introducing you to this lovely little book, and hopefully stretching your thinking and imagination a little bit. I had read the book twice prior to releasing these podcasts, both in the context of book breakfast groups from St. Benedict's Table. And in each of those groups, John actually came and joined us for the final session and did a little debrief and exploration of what we thought and how we responded and what he might change and, and, and. And people really enjoyed his company at those breakfast tables. And in fact, the next session, two weeks later, after he'd shared with us at Wannabe's Diner on Broadway, one of our group members said it was so helpful to hear him talk about the book because his voice really brings so much to the overall content. And I said, well, wouldn't it be interesting if we could record it and release it as an audiobook or as a set of podcasts? And every head at that table nodded. And that gave birth to this little project. And even as I listened through, having read the book twice before, I heard things in it that I hadn't heard before, caught some emphases that I hadn't noticed before, and just generally enjoyed John's voice as a teacher of course, as I said in the very first episode in this series, which was a conversation John and I shared, he had been one of my most influential teachers in the Department of Religious Studies at the University of Winnipeg back in the early 1980s. He's a good teacher, a solid thinker, with a lovely sense of perspective, and it was so good to hear his voice. And so, for this 15th and final episode, Faith and Freedom, a Postscript, this is John Bodicher. Chapter 15, Faith and Freedom, a Postscript. The cautious reader will rightly detect the presence of a circle in what I have said. My formation as a particular kind of Christian, my way of reading the New Testament and especially Paul's letter to the Romans, my understanding of the Ten Commandments, my use of words such as faith and freedom, my presentation of these thoughts to you in a way that suggests they might have a claim upon your life as well as mine, all these are parts of a circle. Each one depends upon the others. If at any point my account becomes deceptive, manipulative, or self-serving, the whole enterprise becomes suspect. Suspicion is most likely to arise when words are used in a way that subverts their normal meaning. Because I am aware that I have used at least two important words that way, I want to be clear 
about what they could and should mean for us and about why I reject their usual meaning. This does not and cannot involve breaking the circle. My understanding of these words has been formed by my interpretation of the Bible and its story and vice versa. But, since I have presented this account as a story that makes a claim upon our lives, and since I warned at the beginning that I would be using these words differently, and since using key words subversively can lead one to be significantly and even dangerously alienated from the world as it is, I owe it to you to be upfront about my use of these words. Let's start with faith. Christians are at least partly responsible for the way that faith has come to be, wrongly in my opinion, understood. The Reformation movements in Western Europe that peaked in the 16th century used formal statements of faith, often called creeds or confessions, to define themselves, usually so they could claim recognition and support from ruling powers. In the rationalistic culture that in the following centuries arose out of disillusionment with conflicts justified by religious differences, theology came to be understood as the intellectual defense of these creeds and confessions. Then faith came to be understood as an intellectual construct used to separate one group from another. Not surprisingly, the term creed with its connotations of division and intellectual rigidity, became a negative term, even for many Christians. The term faith came to be synonymous with belief, an arbitrary and non-rational intellectual construct. As modern science became a dominant and trusted source of intellectual authority, faith as belief was seen by many as tolerable at best, a form of damage control in the face of unavoidable evils such as death, something the brave and realistic could do without. In the story of Israel and its winding path toward freedom, faith has a very different meaning. Faith in the biblical context is the willingness to trust the call to walk the path. To have faith means to respond positively to the summons of the nameless God, I am. It is not a belief in the sense of an intellectual judgment. It is an orientation, finding a direction toward a destination given by a promise. The shape of that orientation is given in the Ten Commandments and their two-dimensional summary, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. So faith in the biblical sense means trusting in a promise. One important contrast between this faith as trust and faith as belief is that biblical faith is about my relationship to others, while faith as belief is just about me. Faith as belief might involve some rules to live by, but the point of living by them is to be a good person. It is no surprise that faith as belief has led many people to think that the point of being a Christian is to get to heaven when I die, even though that notion is thoroughly unbiblical. The biblical journey of faith is made as part of a community, including that widest possible community, the whole of creation. God's promise is that the power of death will be overcome because death 
is what separates us from one another. It is a promise made to and for the world God has created, not a promise to transfer individuals to some imaginary world. To use the language of traditional theology, it is a promise of resurrection, not individual immortality. So, when we speak of faith in the context of the biblical story, faith means trust in the promises of the God of Israel and willingness to walk the path toward the fulfillment of those promises. We may call that path Freedom Road because it begins with liberation from slavery in Egypt and points toward liberation from the death-dealing power of the gods of empire, wherever they may be manifest. Just as with faith, freedom has come to have a very different meaning in the world as it is. Here it may take an idealistic form, as in, you can be whatever you choose to be. Or it may appear in its more brutal form, I can do whatever I please. In either case, it is a freedom which belongs to me as an individual, as a possession. While freedom in the biblical sense belongs to us as a community, as a gift. Just as the meaning of faith has been distorted by becoming individualized and subjective, so the meaning of freedom has been distorted by becoming individualized and possessive. What evidence can I present to support my claim that this way of imagining freedom is distorted? I can only invite you to reflect upon the world of possessive individualism. What strikes me most about that world is the prevalence of fear, anxiety, and loneliness. In a zero-sum world, where every profit for someone is a loss for someone else, we are always potential losers. We sense that what we have has been taken from others, and we fear their retribution. We arm ourselves psychologically and sometimes literally against those whose freedom we have taken, even as we reassure ourselves that the harm was not done by us as individuals, so we cannot be responsible. In the name of that kind of freedom, we live in fear. In a consumer society of possessive individualism, we must live with the anxiety of never having enough. Gotta have that, is the motto that betrays our claim to freedom as a hollow cover for conformism. Technological advance offers the promise that we will be free from the need to work, but that promise veils the threat that we will then be unemployed, no longer needed by those who are admired for their ability to say, you're fired. Our work is seen then as a prison of anxiety rather than an opportunity to serve our neighbors. In a world where we gather in ever-increasing numbers and our cities are ranked by size of population rather than by quality of life, our ability to be at home and to sustain friendships and a sense of belonging becomes ever more difficult. In place of genuine community, we design various forms of collectivism. These can be as innocuous as being a fan, that's short for fanatic, a fan of a sports team, or of an entertainer. They can be as deadly as being under a totalitarian government or caught up in a religious cult. None of these can ever fill the void of loneliness 
implicit in a culture of possessive individualism. Here I rest my case and conclude this testimony, realizing that what I have said cannot stand as proof, only as an invitation to reflection upon your own experience and an invitation to be open to walk the path toward freedom. I submit to you that the world of possessive individualism with its distorted sense of faith and freedom is self-destructive and enslaving. We do not have to live in such a world. We can be free. I offer you what has been offered to me and to all of us, that we are made for a world in which we can trust the promise of freedom and walk toward it together on the path of covenant relationships through the gift of forgiving love. Let it be so. You've been listening to a podcast in our serialization of John Boddicher's book, Ten Steps on Freedom Road, Why the Commandments Are Good News. I'd invite you to consult the show notes where you'll find a link to the web post for this episode. And on that post, we will be including each of the episodes as they're released so that it's easy for you to go back and pick up one that you may have missed. Ten Steps on Freedom Road, Why the Commandments are Good News is easily available through many booksellers, both online and the bricks-and-mortar sort. And a particularly affordable edition of the book in Kindle format is available through Amazon. Music for this series was provided by Steve Bell. We are grateful to Signpost for their permission to use this music. We're also grateful to John for taking the time to so carefully record these, to Kevin Grummet, Larry Campbell, and Bram Ryan, who did a lot of the background work on this audio, and to you for taking the time to listen, to think, to dig deeper with us in these podcasts. I'm your host, Jamie Howison. Thanks for listening.